So the malicious people were thrown into the pit, and their lions overpowered them and broke all their bones. Merry Christmas, everybody. <laughs> this is an intense passage. I don't know if you picked up on that already. It's quite intense. Um, this is the last week that we're going to be doing our series in Daniel. Um, and as we go through Daniel, I've hoped that you've been picking up on the major theme, uh, and that's this, that God is ultimately sovereign over everything, including your story. What that means, sovereign is just a, a fancy word to basically say that uh, God is in control of everything. There's no authority above him, nobody calling the shots above him. He doesn't react out of panic or not knowing something. Um, everything happens because God has either A, orchestrated it to happen, or B, has allowed it to happen. Um, There's a lot in there, but just understand that God is in charge, and that's really the theme that kind of flows through uh, Daniel. And the thing I like about Daniel is this. Daniel is just kind of like an ordinary guy. He really is. Like, if you you, you read up on Daniel, there's nothing really, like, yeah, he was well-spoken and um, was a smart guy, but other than that, I mean, there was really nothing um, that kind of really no kind of natural gifts or something, uh, you know, great about him that he rose to the top and had so much success in his life. The reason he gained so much attention and notoriety and, and, and so much success was, if you read in verse 3, it says this, that um, he had an excellent, an excellent spirit was in him, meaning that God was with him. God was working in him and through him. And because of that, you have an ordinary guy that did just, was just brought through the ringer and just did amazing, just extraordinary things. And uh, he rose to the top very, very quickly. So satraps is just, uh, when you see the word um, and the satraps, it mentions the satraps in the, in the verse. Satraps are basically just like governing officials over, um, over God's people, all right, over the people at the time, over the kingdom. And so Daniel uh, was actually one of three guys that were in charge of all the guys that were in charge. So Daniel is, he's, he's the, one of the king's right-hand men. He was distinguished amongst all the other leaders. And he rose to the top actually very, very quickly. Very, very quickly. Lots of success very, very quickly. Um, and when that happens, like some of you in the corporate world could probably speak to this, is that when you rise to the top very, very, very quickly, and you have lots of success in your career very, very quickly, sometimes your colleagues don't uh, celebrate your success the way they should. Lots of jealousy, lots of envy, and that's really what's happening here. Uh, is that um, the P- Daniel's colleagues ultimately are, you know, lots of jealousy, lots of envy, and they, they're not liking Daniel too much right now because he's having so much success and he's doing so well. So what they do is they try to trip him up. They try to trap him. They know that Daniel and King Darius, they know they're quite tight. Um, and they also know that Daniel serves and loves God and is loyal to him above the king. So they use that against Daniel. So they go to the king and they say, hey, like, you're the boss around here. You're the king. You're the your majesty. Like, nobody should be praying and petitioning to anyone else other than you. And we think you need to lay the hammer down a little bit. Like, you should just, you should set a law, like for 30 days, just to set the tone. And you should make it a law that whoever prays or petitions anybody else other than you, including gods and statues and everything else, whoever does that to anyone else other than you, um, they should be put to death. And the punishment for that was, you get thrown in the lion's den. And so knowing this, um, they knew. They knew what Daniel's reaction would be. And they knew it wouldn't go well for him. And so they tried to trip him up. 
ultimately to make it illegal to pray. Now, as, as I'm telling you this story, there's lots of you who have been in church for a long time. And as I'm telling you this story and as we're reading this story, ultimately where your mind goes is to like Sunday school flannel graph, right? Like that's, to be honest, that's where you're going right now. That's where you are, right? You got the little kitties, you know, nice little whiskers coming out. Sunday school teacher did a good job of that. And you got Daniel there, you know, and, and, and that's automatically where you're going. And so what happens when we do that is that over-familiarity of a story like this, sometimes we lose um, the richness of the story. Sometimes we just kind of gloss over this and go, yeah, I know I've heard this before. And so I want to tell you a bit of a story just to kind of get our mindset into this story and the intenseness that's in the story. And I was debating back and forth, should I tell this? Because it's a quite an intense story. I don't want to, like, upset anybody. Um, you know, but at the same time, it serves a purpose. Uh, it's going to really kind of kickstart your imagination because imagination is one of the best Bible study tools that you have. Inserting yourself in the story. We need to do that. Um, so, yeah, I was debating back and forth, but I decided to because it's, it's going to help our imagination and I'm not on staff and can't get fired. So, um, so it was early 2007. I had just become a police officer. Like, I'm like three months out of training, right? I got my superhero cape on, and I'm saving the world, right? Um, and uh, so we're sitting down to dinner one night, and uh, dispatch comes over the air, and they say, like, you guys need to get out to this rural area about an hour outside of town because there's a lady who's been mauled by a tiger, so a couple things are going through my head. Number one, this has got to be a joke. Because, like, I haven't been a police officer for that long, so I really don't know really anything about policing. But prior to becoming a, policing officer, a police officer, I had watched enough episodes of Cops to know that, like, tiger maulings aren't something that police officers usually go to, right? I knew enough that I knew that. So there's a few things going through my head. And, and, and as the dispatchers were laying the information, I'm hearing the angst in her voice. I mean, this, is, this isn't a joke. Like, someone's really hurt here, and we need to go. So lights and sirens, boom, we head out to this rural property. And as we drive, like, as we're going to scenes, like, a lot of the, like, what we're taught, trained to assess risk as you go, right? As information's coming in and things are chaotic, like, you're assessing risk, and, you know, and, and so I'm there sitting there, I'm assessing risk, and I'm like, okay, like, we didn't go through this scenario in training, right? Like, tigers. Maybe they should. I don't know, right? And so I'm like, okay. Like, are these things out of the cage? Are they roaming around? Like, I have a 9mm on my hip and a shotgun. Like, is this going to be able, this is going to be enough to protect me and the people around me? Like, and at that moment, as I'm processing this information, I have never been more terrified in my entire life as I'm, as I'm thinking these things and going through these things. And so we pull up to the property, and it's dark, right? This is a rural property large acreage property and it's dark and I'm not talking like city dark I'm talking like out in the middle of the country dark like it is black I can't see anything and so we begin walking into this property and uh and as we were driving out there I realized oh okay this is starting to make sense because I know a guy bit of a redneck hillbilly owns a real owns a owns a, a real low budget uh, exotic animal farm and we're talking low low budget exotic animal farm and this guy had massive tigers and lions, and he had, uh, like, lemurs and wolves, all these kind of weird things that he would actually bring these full-grown tigers into schools because they were tame. He raised them from cubs. And he would sit, and, and the kids would come up and pet it, and, you know, everyone would be taking pictures. Like, the thing would be laying down, and its back would be this high. Like, these things are massive, massive, massive animals. 
And so we go out there, and, I, and I'm walking down this path going to this house. And I can't see anything, but I can see a chain link fence right beside me. So I'm walking, and, and I can't see what's inside. It's too dark. And what I didn't know was that about two feet away from me on the other side of the chain link fence was a full-grown adult male lion. And as I'm walking, like, as soon as you opened the door, like, when we pulled up, as soon as you opened the door, it sounded like a safari. Like, there was just animals going nuts everywhere. And it was, like, just the craziest, craziest thing I've ever experienced in my entire life. So I'm walking down, and this adult male is lying there. I have no idea he's there. And he lets out a roar, like, from the pit of his guts, right? Just like a, you know. And, you know, they say white men can't jump. (laughs) Proved him wrong that day. I got about five feet in the air. Like, I was just, I was just terrified. But this thing was behind the cage, and no one was there. And so I'm like, okay, okay, that's not a threat right now at the immediate moment. And so we keep walking along, and in front of me, I can see it. I can still picture it to this day. There's a small, small chain-link fence enclosure with four adult Bengal tigers in this enclosure. Um, so what had happened was the guy um, usually... He feeds, these, he feeds them a b- whole bunch of uh, um, rotten meat kind of every couple days. And that's what these tigers would feed on. And uh, there was about a gap, this much of a gap at the end of one of the cages. And not enough, big enough for the cats to get out, but big enough that he would put the meat all in this one area and the cats would just kind of reach under and take it in and that's how they would get their meal. Um, and what this guy had done is he hadn't fed them for a couple days. These animals were starving. Uh, he had a girlfriend and so the girlfriend, they were together for about six months, and what she would do in the evenings is she would come down, and she would say goodnight to the cats, right? Almost every evening, that was kind of what she did. And she would come down, and she would pet them, and, you know, say goodnight, and then go up and, and, and go to bed. So this one night she comes down, these animals are starving. And she stands in the area where they usually get fed. And she's wearing a frilly dress, right? And we all know that about cats. Um, cats start kind of swatting at her a little bit, and they nick her leg, and a little bit of blood in her leg, and that's it. And they basically just take her, and they haul her under the cage. Right? So that's what happens. So we showed up, and we go in there, and right away, I'm just thinking, we just got to get her out of there. We just got to get her out of there. So we run over, grab her, and these animals are like, again, they're going crazy. And, and we just kind of slide her out and kind of get her out of the cage. Um, and what had happened was, at that point, like we just took... Ultimately, it sounds really bad, but we took their meal away. These animals were wild, wild, wild. Like, I have never seen anything like it before. I've watched National Geographic. I've gone on YouTube videos, and I have never seen anything like it to this day. One of the tigers, he seemed to be more of the alpha, they were hissing and roaring, you know, and he looked up, and he, like, his eyes, like, locked with mine, right? Just the, the red stained fur and just, like, just ferocious. And he charged, like, mo- most, like, just pounced like aggressively charged the cage his head down and just boom nailed the cage and the cage started to tip and i'm thinking like i'm done this is it like we're like i'm this thing's next meal we're toast um but we managed to actually uh get her out of there it she 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 didn't make it it was uh she was in real rough shape um, by the time that the paramedics actually got to her and you got a little bit of a knot in your stomach right now I even have that not just thinking about it going back. But the reason I want to tell you that story is to pull you out of that familiarity, flannel graph graph type of mentality and insert yourself in your imagination in this story. We're talking about God miraculously saving Daniel from a lion's den. 
and how terrifying and what an intense scenario that was. Very, very intense. What should have been certain death for Daniel wasn't the case. God did the miraculous. He saved him. And you see, it's, it's interesting because God allowed, right? God knew this whole scenario. He allowed the odds to be stacked against Daniel. He allowed that. He orchestrated it. He allowed the odds to be stacked against Daniel. And in turn, he did something God did something that only he could do. Like when you get thrown into a den of hungry lions, you're done. There's no lifeline. There's no, like, you are done. You can fight back. It's not going to work. So God put Daniel in a position to save him where only God could get credit for it. And that's really a theme throughout Daniel. He used Daniel to show his power and his love and that's what we learn. Like when we read the story, that's what we learn. God likes the odds going against him. God likes it when the deck is stacked against him. He loves doing things that only he can get credit for. Why? Because he wants us to know that he loves us. He wants us to know that he's powerful. He wants us to know that he's in charge. He loves us. And looking back through the scriptures, you can see it. It's all over the scriptures. At times where you're like, oh, that's hopeless. Like, God's out. He's done. Like, he's going to get tapped out here. The odds are against him. And yet, he pulls out something miraculous. You look at the Red Sea. You know the story of the Moses and the Israelites in the Red Sea, right? What happens? There's them, a big sea, and a whole bunch of people that want to kill them. The Egyptians, right? And they're coming in hot. They're going to kill them. And so the Israelites standing there, can't swim. These guys are going to kill me. I'm done. Right? That's basically the mentality of the Israelites. And what happens? God miraculously opens the sea. They walk through. Bad guys go in. Sea comes over. They're done. Miraculous, miraculous salvation. Again, you look at David and Goliath. David. Little shepherd boy. Small, tiny. Not a lot of muscle. No, like, mixed martial arts training. Like, he had nothing. He was a shepherd boy, played with sheep all day. And he gets put up against, through God's, through circumstances, gets put up against one of the largest, most powerful, successful warriors of that time, Goliath. Massive, right? Like if that were a betting fight, like a lot of people would have lost money on that fight, right? Like David didn't stand a chance. Odds against him completely. Odds against him completely. Yet what happens? One punch, boom. Goliath's down. Game over. Odds were stacked against him. God does something miraculous. All throughout the scriptures, look at the circumstances of Jesus. A poor Galilean peasant who's a nobody becomes the most famous person in all of human history. Right? They even said it. What good can come out of Nazareth? Right? Like, what good can come out of, like, Surrey or Mission or whatever? Right? Like, it's like, it's Nazareth. Nothing good comes out of there. Nothing good comes out of there. Yet he becomes the most famous person in all of human history. You know, think about it. Think about your, um, think about your circumstances. He chose you to fulfill the Great Commission. 
Jesus says, they will do better works than I have. Meaning that the torch is going to them. These people here are going to carry out the rest of my plan, the Great Commission. Go and make disciples. Finish this thing off. I'll be with you. And the reality of it is, we're not equipped. We're not equipped. The odds are stacked against us. You see, the only way that you will ever do anything good for the kingdom is if God is with you, working in you and through you. When we try to do things on our own power, when we try to do things ourselves, we just white-knuckle it, just a little more discipline, just a little harder. God, I'm good. Let's get this done. Don't really need you right now. Let's go. I'm not going to really pray. I'm not going to seek your face. I'm not going to seek your wisdom and counsel. Let's just go. I got this. You will fail. Like Daniel, verse 3, the spirit of God working through you. Job 9, verse 4 says this. He is wise in heart and mighty in strength. Who has hardened himself against him and succeeded? Right? The answer to that is nobody. Nobody. Whoever comes up against God doesn't go well. But he likes the odds stacked against him. You know, some of you feel like um, right now in your life, you're kind of like that underdog. Like you feel like in certain scenarios in your life, the odds are stacked against you. Right? Like every turn, you go to do something or you go to, it's just like brick wall after brick wall and it's just like you feel like you can't get anywhere. You know what I'm talking about? Like, like for some of you, like you're in marriages where you're just like, you, it's impossible. Like you're just in a really rough spot now in your marriage where, you know, it's just you, you look at the person and you look at the history and you look at everything that's going on and you look at your disappointment and how they failed you and, and everything else. And then, you know, you feel like you step back for a second and there's this moment of, is this even worth it? Like, should we separate for a little while? Should we? And at that moment, it's almost like you give up because you look at the scenario and it looks impossible. You feel like the odds are stacked against you. You know, for some of you who have kids who have grown up and they are just, they're a mess. They're just off doing their own thing. They're not following the Lord. And it's just heartbreak after heartbreak as you watch them just stumble through life. And you just sit back and you look and even though like you're praying and you're trusting, you have those moments of weakness where you go, I just, I don't know if I can do, like I just, you feel like you want to give up. It's just so painful. And you feel like the odds, like this is an impossible situation. The odds are just stacked. Like there's so many scenarios that could be represented in this room here this morning of just where you feel like just the odds are impossible. But the beautiful thing about following Jesus and being a believer in Christ and God saving you and loving you and calling you as sons and daughters is that your story is not over yet. Your story is not over yet. Am I preaching this morning? Can I hear it? Amen? Your story is not over yet. God likes the odds stacked against him so that when he saves you, when he shows up, when he does something miraculous, only he gets the credit for it. And it results in your good and his glory. That's the way God operates. That's the way, time and time again, the Bible displays him working. The odds stacked against you. You're down and out. Zero hope. I don't think that this can get any worse. I don't see a resolution to this problem. And then God shows up, does something miraculous. 
God shows up and works. He puts his will into work, into place, and he shows up. So I want to encourage you this morning. Your story is not over yet. And it's so hard to believe that when I tell you that. Because right now you're in it. Like you're in the trench right now. And you can't stand outside of this trench and go, oh yeah, there's the beginning and there's the finish line and here's where I'm at. And oh, this is actually going to turn out good for me. God has plans in this. And there's no possible way that you can see that right now. And it's really, really difficult. But God works for the good of those who love him and he's orchestrating these things in your life. He's working these things in your life to save you, to do something miraculous that will result in his praise and ultimately you're good. And so when we look at that, Daniel knew that. Daniel understood that. And this is why we really see one of the characteristics that set Daniel apart was his sense of self-abandonment because he knew, he knew that somehow, some way, doesn't have all the answers, but God's going to show up. God's going to do something. And it just happened to be an amazing miracle. You see, after Daniel was set up and the king passed a law that praying was illegal, what did Daniel do? Did he kind of run and just start praying in the closet and go, I just got to make sure no one hears me now. I'm still going to be faithful, but just got to make sure that no one hears me. No. Right in the living room, bay window, doors open, verse 10, you can read it. He starts praying so that every, like, everyone can see him. Everyone knows exactly what he's doing. He's done what he's always done. Praying to God, petitioning God, despite the fact that they called it, called it illegal. And he knew that this could go really bad for me. But his loyalty to God was more than his self-preservation. His loyalty to God and being obedient to God and connecting with God and maintaining his relationship with God was much more important than anything else that could happen to him. And this is a hard thing because this is what God calls us to, the sense of self-abandonment. This is what it means to be a believer. And it's so hard because it means that we have to make ourselves vulnerable, right? When we follow Jesus, it's something that's actually very personal, right? Because like there are sin in your life right now and, and areas that God is kind of working and chiseling at in you right now that you would never tell with anybody. Like, like you wouldn't even talk to your spouse about it. Like super just deep, dark places, right, where God is just working and massaging and just, you know, um, and it's just like a, a relationship with God is very, very personal, very, very personal, yet at the same time, it's meant to be displayed. Now, I'm talking about airing all your dirty laundry. That's what Facebook is for, right? I'm not talking about airing all your dirty laundry, but I mean being vulnerable, being real, being authentic, like, I am a mess of a person, yet God still chooses to love me and engage in my life and work through me and do these amazing things and change my heart and change my mind. That's what I'm talking about. It's meant to be displayed. It's meant to be shown in your actions and said with your mouth. This is who God is and this is who I am and this is what he's done for me. But it's hard because it's such a personal thing. That's why it's difficult because it's so personal. Matthew 10, verse 32 says this, So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. Jesus is saying this. But whoever denies me 
before men. I will also deny um, before my Father who is in heaven. Those are like heavy, 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 heavy words. Daniel didn't do that. He didn't keep his shutters closed and go in the closet and pray. He's like, no, I'm going to do what I've always done. I'm going to connect with God the way that I connect with God. And if it's illegal and that means bad things for me, that's fine. He had this spirit of just self-abandonment. And think about, think about what Daniel was risking. Daniel had, I mean, he was right-hand man to the king. He had luxury. He had a good income. He had wealth. He had comfort. He had all the luxuries, respect, notoriety. Like, this is what he had. But he was willing to risk it all if it meant being loyal to God. And this is what it means to be a disciple. If you're going to follow Jesus, it involves risk. It just does. It just does. You're called to be a light in a dark place. You're called to love the unlovable, to show grace That means you love people when they don't deserve it. That's a really difficult thing to do, to put your own stuff aside and just to love people, to share the gospel with people. Like, that's just a ridiculously hard thing to do, to actually pour yourself out and give yourself to people. It's a ridiculously hard thing to do. It means risk. You're going to risk some stuff. But that's what it means to be a believer. If you aren't willing to risk... Look at me for a second. If you aren't willing to risk, it's going to be impossible to follow Jesus. I'm just telling you that right now. It's going to be impossible. And you think about this. Now let's put it in the playing field for a second of an entrepreneur. How many people here own small businesses? How many people are small business owners, right? So you are invested. I would, if I were a betting man, I would say you are probably invested and you are passionate about your business. Why? Well, because it's yours. You've invested everything you have. Like, your mortgage is on the line, and you're, you know, like, everything you have. Like, if this business succeeds, it's going to be great. If it doesn't, it's not going to be so great. Like, everything you have. And you're passionate. You're invested. Right? Sometimes if you go to bigger corporations right, where, like, you just show up and collect a paycheck. That's not a bad thing, but sometimes it's, it's, it's really easy to become just dispassionate about what you do and not really invested because, like, you're not, you don't have anything on the line. Think about this for a second. Maybe is the reason, like, some of you, you're just not really invested in your faith and you're not really passionate about your faith is because you are unwilling to risk Think about that for a second. Maybe the reason that you're not passionate, maybe the reason that you're, you're not invested in your faith, like it's not something that's real to you. Maybe it's because you've made that decision in your mind and your heart to go, no, I'm not going to risk. I'm not going to risk. Risk equals passion and investment. And as we look through Daniel, it's kind of like, again, putting ourselves in the story and realizing that your story, just like Daniel's story, is a miracle. We see the miracle, and it's meant to bring others closer to God. Your story, talking about you, your story is a miracle. 
and it's meant to bring others closer to God. Look at it, verse 25, 28. After Daniel was saved from the lions, what was the result? It was worship. Worship was the result. The king, when the king came and he saw Daniel, and he, not even a scratch on him, not even a scratch on him, he said, yeah, your God definitely saved you. And he made a decree. He said, anybody that's in my kingdom and even beyond my reach, Daniel's God is the one we serve. Daniel's God is the one who deserves the glory and the praise. Daniel's God is the one who is powerful and mighty. He's God. Mass worship and praise of God. That was the result of Daniel's story. Right? So right now you're having a bit of a problem as I'm saying this. And the problem is this. Nate, I've never been thrown into a lion's den before. Like, I've never had anything like that happen to me before. Like, like it's not like, you know, I was this gangbanger with a whole bunch of tattoos, like, that weren't Bible verses, right? And then all of a sudden, like, the next day I'm, like, a saint and out serving the Lord, right? Like, maybe you don't feel like you have this, like, big dramatic story. And so you just kind of come to the conclusion, yeah, my testimony's kind of boring, Right? I want to challenge you on that thinking. If you think that your testimony is boring, you really don't have a complete understanding of what salvation is. You really don't have a complete understanding of what salvation is. You see, a large majority of the reality that we live in, right? because there's a reality that goes on every, every, day, every day that we can't see, Behind us, behind the scenes, working, invisible. What God is doing. We can't see that all the time. We can't see that all the time. And so my encouragement to you is to embrace the mundane. Because why? Like just the everyday. You feel like, oh, nothing's really exciting happening. Because God's work, God's work is a process. See, if you become a believer, what's happening in you right now is that God is changing your heart. The way you feel about things. He's changing your mind. The way you process information. You know, some of you before, your testimony is that, well, I was selfish. I really just, just only cared about myself. And God changed your heart so now that you're actually a giving person. You just give of yourself. You think about others. It's kind of steering in that direction. Your mind, maybe, the, maybe you were a fool before. Just not a lot of insight and a lot of wisdom. And all of a sudden, God just starts to mold your mind and change your mind to the likeness of Christ. And all of a sudden, you start to become wise. You have to understand how amazing that is. Our system, like the society we live in, there are so much money and resources and systems set up to try to change the hearts and minds of people. And we fail miserably all the time. All the time. I see it every single day. The fact that you are changing and being made new as a person is a miracle. That is the miracle of salvation. You were destined for a place a lot worse off than a lion's den. Like if you could step back and see that reality, like if you could step back and you could see the glory of heaven and being eternally with Christ, and you could step back and you could see what torturous existence it would be in hell to live eternity without God. Like if you could see those two extremes, you would understand that what has happened to you is a miracle. But you can't see that. 
so hard to see that in your everyday life. So what happens is God is in the process of saving you. He's in a process of changing you to the likeness of Christ. And it's something that happens in the mundane moments of everyday life. Which moment by moment may not seem like much, but when you step back, that is a beautiful picture. If you could only see where you would have been and compare that to where you are, if we had that foresight, if we had that clarity, you would understand the miracle that is your salvation. But it's hard. It's like the, the frog in the boiling pot of water, right? Like we just, we're involved in it slowly over time so we don't see it. We don't see the miraculous work that's being done. My prayer for us this morning is that. That for a moment, God would draw you back 10,000 feet from your life and that you would be able to look and see what's really going on. That the realities of being saved from hell, from the pit, the lion's den, would become a reality to you. That the glory that awaits you in heaven would become a reality to you. The fact you are being made new every single day would be clear to you and understand that. It's a miracle. Now understand that the circumstances you're going through right now, while they are hard, I mean, I'm not going to say, yeah, I understand what you're going through. Because some situations represented in this room, like they're just horrendous. God is not done with you yet. God is not done yet. The story is not over yet. The Bible is meant for those type of scenarios where we can look back through history and to see how he's worked and to see the things that he's done. The miracle of salvation happens over your whole lifetime. And it is a miracle. So what we're going to do now is we're going to transition into a time of communion. And we're going to celebrate this. We're going to celebrate and remember what Jesus has done. So Tyson, if you, uh, you want to come up, and for those of you who are serving communion, if you can kind of come up and, and take your spots. See, because of what Jesus has done, because Jesus has died for us, went into the lion's den for us, was torn apart for us in our place so that you wouldn't have to, you get to be free and to proclaim that miracle that God has saved you. And really all communion is, for those of you who are kind of even unfamiliar with communion or really the reason behind why we do it, is that, I mean, I, I have a horrible memory like, my wife, it drives her absolutely crazy. Like, I just, the, you know, forget things. I need to write everything down. Don't look at me like judgy, judgy. You know, when you walk into a room, right, and you're like, I totally forget why I'm here. You know, that kind of thing. We forget easy. That's part of our nature. We forget. It is easy to forget. And so the reason why we do communion is Jesus said, I need you to remember what I've done for you. I need you to remember the miracle of your salvation. So he takes the bread and he breaks it and he says, this is my body broken for you. Whenever you eat and drink, you remember me. Remember my, my body broken for you, shredded, torn apart, just tortured for you so that you wouldn't have to go through that. And the same way he takes the cup and he says, this is my blood poured out for you, spilled for you, so that yours wouldn't have to be poured out and spilled in your place for your sin.
Whenever you drink it, you remember me and remember what I've done for you. So whenever we eat, whenever we drink, we sit back and we remember the salvation that we have and what Jesus has done. And so I'm going to pray. When I'm done praying, feel free to come up and just, uh, and, and yeah, take the bread, take the cup, and remember what Jesus has done for us. And this is like, and I want you to kind of get this imagery because I think it's important. This is like, um, it's like a dinner table. We're a family sitting around a dinner table remembering what Jesus has done. That's kind of the imagery that I want you to get behind this when we're doing this. So let's... Uh